0: I want you to do me a favor, you've got your Bible open to Matthew 18, turn to the right until you get to Ephesians chapter 1, because we're going to look through Ephesians, and you really need to have your Bible open to it to get the, the full impact of what we'll be talking about in that particular passage, Galatians, Ephesians. One day my family was looking through an old Phillips photo album. And it contained a rather unattractive picture of me in middle school. So your middle school picture is not something you keep like on the refrigerator. And everybody's, of course, laughing really right at me as I'm sitting there. And someone in my loving family suggested that I look like a heavyset 40-year-old woman. Now, it's so good to be in a family that exercises their spiritual gift of kindness just right in front of you. But that wasn't their last observation. They followed that up kindly by saying, I mean, how did you get out of the bed in the morning? So the question is, what motivates an eighth grader who looks like a heavy set 40-year-old woman? I'm sorry for all 40-year-old women in here. It's just... You look great, but when you're in eighth grade and you're a boy, that's not, you know, that's not the goal. So what does motivate an eighth grader who mostly resembles a heavy set 40 year old woman to actually get out of bed in the morning? Because you know, if that's the way you look like to your family, what do you look like to your friend, middle school friends? So I, I, each day I've got to run this gauntlet of middle school barbs. So what what causes someone to, to move through life in that way? One primary reason for me was that I was absolutely certain of the unconditional love of the one person whose voice was bigger than every other voice, and that was my mother. I was absolutely certain of her unconditional love, and her voice was so big in my life that it really didn't matter so much what other people thought. It mattered a lot what she thought. And because she had an unconditional love for this 8th grader who didn't take great pictures, then I was able to move through even though other people had some different ideas. And her unconditional love, her powerful influence enabled me to do things, to face things To move through things that would have been impossible or much more difficult for me to do. Now, she's been dead 30 years. And her love still is exerting an influence on me. It's very powerful. Many of you know this. So today, when we look at part 2 of Matthew 18, Jesus is teaching us some skills that we need to live in this new community. We talked about, you know, conflict. Now we're learning how to forgive. And I want to look at this forgiveness in two ways. One, our motive to forgive, or we might say the fuel. What fuels your forgiveness? And then second, we'll just try to take a look at some practical exercises. So first, What's your motive to forgive? We've got to get that down right. We're going to look at that in Ephesians. One commentator says this, A heart that knows its own desperate condition, listen carefully, a heart that knows its own desperate condition, and despite that condition has experienced the unconditional love of Christ, then true forgiveness is possible and even natural. So if you have experienced the unconditional love of Christ, if you've really understood, I am in a desperate condition. I don't need tips on how to live better. I need someone to save this hardened, evil heart. And I know it, and I know he did something for me that I don't deserve. Then, when I find myself needing to forgive somebody else, then I have the fuel in order to do that. Ephesians, let's just look at this because this is very helpful. We're going to walk through several verses here and you'll just walk with me. First of all, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. God chose us in him. How did you become a Christian? Well, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Notice, in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. So, before we get uptight about the word predestination, let's just bat, take a bath in the glory of God here. That it's, that it's, we can all agree, it's mind-bending. That before the foundation of the earth... He set his affection on us. He he began to pour out his unconditional love towards us. And this 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 affection is in no way based on our performance. And we know this because it began before the foundation of the world. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You and me, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. This way in which you walked according to the world, verse three, uh, we were all one, we all once lived in the passions of our own flesh. We're, we carried out our own desires. We were by nature children of wrath. But then this great two words that you should circle: but God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with he, with which which He had for us, even when we were dead. He made us alive together by with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I think we can all agree that it's impossible to love a dead person based on their performance. Can I get an amen to that? You You can't love a dead person based on what they've done. Wow, such a great thing you've done, Mr. Dead Person. You can't love someone who's dead based on their performance so god before any performance he loved us and that's the gospel that's what's called grace and then paul then he's trying to help all these people in this church in ephesus really understand the love of god and then he's going to pray for them verse 17 chapter 3 verse 17 so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith you and notice what he says. You're rooted and grounded in love. I've just been telling you about this etern- eternal affection God has had for us. You're rooted and grounded in love. And here's my prayer. That you would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know what? The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So just... Just understand what Paul's trying to say. I'm trying to tell you that you've been unconditionally loved before the foundations of the earth. There is no way you did anything because you were dead. So God poured out his affections on you. And you come to life and you're rooted and grounded in the gospel. Now that you're rooted and grounded in the gospel, here's the very first thing I want you to be able to do. I want you to expand your ability to know what? The love of God. You've seen it because you've gotten to this point. But I just need your mind to have an increasing capacity to understand the love of God. I just want that always to be expanding out. Because you're going to live in a community called the church. And you're going to have a need for an ever increasing knowledge of God's love for you. It's not just static. I know it, I got saved, and that's it. No, it's got to always be, be increasing. Now, so turn to chapter 4. He turns a page here. Therefore, or some, some of your versions say now, so now that you know this, now that you've been rooted and grounded in love, you know you have to have an increasing capacity, then I need you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And now in this community, here's the very first thing you're going to need to exercise with all humility, chapter 4, verse 2, and gentleness. With patience, you're going to have to bear with one another in love. You have an increasing, expanding capacity to understand the love of Christ. Why? Because you live in a community and you're going to have to bear with one another. And if you don't understand this love, it's going to be very hard for you to love this way. Does that make sense? It's very simple. It's very clear. You just need to have more and more understanding pouring into you because the more and more people you know, guess what? More and more opportunities to bear. I, I got married and had to bear something with Nancy. By design, I had another child. Guess what? I needed a greater capacity to bear. Poor pals, they've got to have a real capacity to bear. Poor boys. But do you see what happens? You, you increase your knowledge of people and your, your love for one another, but you're also going to have to have an increasing capacity to bear with one another. You're going to have to carry some things. And that's going to be difficult, and the difficulty is going to be fueled, or the reason you're going to be able to get through the difficulty is going to be fueled by the love of Christ. That's what I'm trying to say. I think that's what Paul's trying to say. So you're bearing with one another in love. That's one of the, the first discernible character traits of really becoming a Christian. I mean, there are other things that get added or dropped off, but one of the key things. Is your ability to forgive, and if you've met Christ and you can't forgive, then you might not have met Christ. That's what the end of the parables basically saying. If you can't forgive after you've been forgiven so much, then you might, you might not have met really you might not have really met Jesus. You just might have met something else. Patience in the Greek is macrothumia. Macro means long. Thumia is like temperature, long temper. You have to be long-suffering. That's in the old King James Version instead of patience. It's describing a person who doesn't easily lose their composure. Or in your family and mine, you don't have a lot of meltdowns. You ever use that word? Uh Uh-oh. Warning, dad's melting down right now. So you don't have a meltdown. You, you have a long temperature. That's why you use steel for build. One of the reasons you use steel for buildings. It has a very high temperature rating. It, it doesn't start to melt down until 2,500 degrees. You wouldn't want to build a building with mercury. Wouldn't be good. Mercury melts down at room temperature, right? But see, some of you know you're a lot more like mercury. You easily lose your composure, easily melting down. You're not long-suffering. When the heat comes on, you begin to melt down. You, you want to get revenge. You want to get your way. You want to pay back. Paul's saying here, no, if you've really understood the love of Christ, you're not going to easily melt down. I'm not saying you're not going to be hurt. There's a difference between that and melting down. So, so Paul is trying to help us understand the base of our operations with each other. The, 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 the beachhead of our operations with each other is the love of Christ. You got that? If you don't have that, then you're not going to be able to advance out in relationships that well. But once you have that, then you're going to be able to advance out. And as you advance out, you're going to have to learn how to bear with one another. You're going to learn how to have have conflict and bear and forgive one another. So let me make a few observations here. Long-suffering is active. It's not passive. So, so you have to d- take deliberate steps. It's, it's willful. It's an active e- effort. It's not... Forgiving, forget. I mean, I've had lots of things done to me that, that hurt. My, still hurt. They were done 40 years ago. And you might say, well, you never really forgive the person because you can't forget it. That negative, nope, bad theology. Some things you are going to forget, thank the Lord. But there are going to be things that happen, and, and you know this in your own life. The things that you can't forget. But you have to actively pursue forgiveness. You have to actively do it. It's not just something as simple as forgive and forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean there are no consequences. This is a critical understanding. If someone who works for me is discovered to be stealing. I'm going to have to do two things at the same time. Work to forgive them and fire them. So things happen to you, and there are consequences to those things. Forgiveness isn't, oh, it's all back to where it it was, no problems. no, No, you can't. There are lots of places you can't get back to that place. You have to put in some kind of boundary. Something has to happen. A relationship changes. Something goes on. It doesn't mean you can't try to work to forgive them, but it doesn't mean there are no consequences to it. So they're not, forgiveness and consequences aren't competing concepts, number Three, you have to be careful to pursue forgiveness to its very end Now I would say to its death Hebrews 12 15 see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble so, so it's active you've got to pull out this problem at its roots. you got to keep trying to pull out the anger or whatever you're left with because if you don't it springs up and spills out into to all kinds of relationships i have a friend who's in the forestry business he works for international paper and one day we're talking about forest fires because a lot of times they do these controlled burns you've seen them and so he's saying you know biggest problem with the forest fire is that a lot of times in the forest There's a lot of organic material underneath the ground. It's not just the trees that you see above. There's stuff that burns underground. And a lot of times in a forest fire, what you do is you go put out all the flames that you see, and you say, well, it's all done. But underground is a roaring fire. And if you don't saturate the soil with water, which is why you need rain, then it just grows, and then it pops up, and immediately just... The forest starts burning again. See, some of us, we've put away flames, but underneath, oh, you're boiling. You're boiling. And just one thing happens: forest fire. You didn't pursue it all the way to its death. You just said, Well, I got rid of the stuff that you can see. I've got a big smile on my face, but underneath, I'm boiling. And if you hit the wrong button, boy, it, I'm going to just erupt and I'm going to just burn you. And it may be you, the person who hurt me, or maybe you, I don't even know you. This happens all the time. So we have to pursue this all the way down to its roots. We've got to pull it out. We've got we've to gotta have the love of Christ saturate our hearts. You have to keep going back to the Word of God saying, I've got to have this getting down and further and further down because I still have this pain. And so I would want you to ask yourself the question, is there anything that's smoldering underneath? Any sort of hot coal that I couldn't see? But you know, sitting there, just waiting for somebody to disturb, and it jumps out. The picture that Jesus gives us in Matthew 18, such a great picture. Notice the servant's debt. It's 10,000 talents. Now, Scholars have different ideas, but one idea is that a talent is one year's salary. So this servant owes ten thousand years of a salary. It's it's so big it's impossible to pay back. So let's just say, just for math, you made thirty thousand dollars a year and you owed ten thousand times, that's three hundred billion. You made a hundred thousand dollars a year, it's one trillion. So it's a number so large, you can't possibly pay it back. And notice the servant pleads for patience, verse 26. Please be patient. I'm down on my knees. I'm going to pay it back. And then listen, look what happens. The servant asks the king to deal with him, the servant, according to the servant's desire. That one day he could pay it back. In other words, I'm telling you my desire, and could you honor my desire? Well, the king knows he can't pay it back, and notice how the king responds. Verse twenty-seven: Out of pity, the master releases him and forgives him. Pity is such a bad word here; bad word choice. The Greek is splogjizomai. It's fun to say splogjizomai. It's it's sort of like your spleen. It's I've looked at him and out of my gut i have a love for this person so i'm not i'm not operating out of the servant's plea i'm operating out of my own love does that make sense oh you want god to operate out of his own love towards you not out of your desire cuz your desire first of all you can't match it no matter how many times you've made a promise to god god i'm never going to do that and you've broken it i won't ask for a show of hands so you really want God to operate out of his own my out of his own own inner love for you, not out of your just pleading, please help me. Please forgive me. So it's an incredible relief that God operates. He He redeems people based on his desire, not your desire. See, this is what happens if you really don't see that. Then you end up saying the sinner's prayer every Sunday. Right? Again, I won't ask for a show of hands. How many times have you said the sinner's prayer more than one time? Many times. Why? I, it didn't seem like it took. Because I went out and sinned again. So it must not have taken. So I've got to say it again. And in some place, you've got to get baptized again. So I got baptized in a really minute, but I guess I didn't minute because five years from later, I wasn't really walking with the Lord. So I've got, got to keep coming back. And the reason you keep coming back is because you believe God operates towards you based on you. And amen, he does not He does it based on himself. And that's the gospel. That's why it's good news that you don't have to go out today and perform something and hope God's going to be happy and redeem you. No, he's done it from before the foundations of the earth. What a relief. What a grace. And so that's how the king operates. It's mind-blowing. So some practical suggestions. So when you forgive. So now you understand the great forgiveness. Now you've got to go out and you've got to forgive. What, what does that mean when I'm forgiving somebody? Well, I would just say you're, you're not going to hold it or count it against them. And I'm getting that definition from 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. So he looks at the servant and says, I'm not going to count the $300 billion debt you have against you. I know you have it. I haven't forgotten about it. I'm just not counting it against you. So when someone offends you and you have to extend forgiveness, you're saying, I'm not going to make you pay. I'm not going to hold it against you. So then is it just simply forgotten? I've hurt you. You said, Paul, I'm not going to make you pay. I forgive you. Is it forgotten? No, no, it's not forgotten. You hold the debt. You've let me go, but, but you're, you're holding the debt. If if you're going to extend forgiveness, then you're agreeing to bear something, and I'm not bearing it. Let's think of it like an accident. If if between you and me, I cause a $1,000 emotional dent, I say something inappropriate. It really hurts your feeling, and it it caused a $1,000 dent, if we could just sort of measure it in your soul. And you choose to forgive me, You are still holding a $1,000 dent. Does that make sense? When you say, I forgive you, Paul, the dent doesn't go boop, all back to normal. No, you're holding it. You have to bear it. You have to pay it down. And the way you bear it or the way you pay it down is that you begin to let it go. And you let it go by, I don't bring it up anymore. When we have a conversation. See, sometimes, especially in marriage relationships, you're just holding on. Right? Writing them down in your mind. And at the right time, last September, last December, last February, in May, you're just holding, holding. And I keep bringing it up. See, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to. I'm bearing it. I'm forgiving it. I can't forget it, but I've got to pay it down. I've got to. I've got to let it die in some way, and I've got to do that first. By I've got to remember God's incredible love for me. Because if I don't remember that incredible love for me, I'm going to really want to choke you. That's, if you're a visitor here, you're like, oh my gosh, this pastor. It's a nutcase. It's going to cause a $1,000 emotional dent, and he also wants to choke me. But you understand what I'm saying. If I don't really get in touch with God's love for me, and you hurt me, according to the parable and according to my own evil heart, I want to choke you. I want to say, did you understand? That's exactly what this guy's doing. Because he does, he hasn't really understood the forgiveness of Christ. So I'm going to go back to the Bible. I got this $1,000 emotional dent, or you have it. You're going to go back to the Bible, and I'm going to remember God's love. I've got to do that. I've got to fully, second, I've got to fully acknowledge my pain. It might be to you. It certainly is to God. I might need to come back to you and say, that really hurt my feelings. This is why I needed you to know. And then I've got to, I've got to pour it out on God. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. If you're involved in a church, one heavy burden you carry is the pain that we cause one another. God, I, this is so hard. I wish everybody in my church was perfect. I don't want to carry anybody's burden. I don't want to bear anybody's pain. I don't want to work with their dysfunction. So I'm having to bear it, and I bear it by telling God, God, this is hard. Can you help me? Yes. And he says, yes, I am going to help you at those points of need. Forgiveness means I'm not going to choke the person. I'm going to try to. Set appropriate boundaries. You notice that the king acts like a servant. Right? He serves this guy who owes him 300. The servant goes and acts like a king. See, if the king has gotten down with a towel and washed your feet, then you're not going to go and act like a king to other people. If you really understand that, You're going to go and serve, because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life. We then willfully and actively cut off the oxygen to the fire. I'm going to absorb this pain, or you're going to absorb the dent by by not continuing to bring it to mind. Oh, this is so hard. This is so hard. This is one of the hardest things. I find myself sometimes just 20, 30 minutes go by, and I think, what have I been doing? I've been having an argument in my head. Have you ever done this? I'm, I mean, I, I, sometimes I get home. Again, please come back if you're a visitor. But <laughs> sometimes I get home. I've driven like 15 or 20 minutes, and I think, I don't even remember driving, right? You remember this? Did I stop at any stop sign? You don't remember. Like, I'm in my driveway. It's because I've been having an argument in my head. He says this. I'm going to say that. Oh, I should say that. I mean, maybe I'm just talking to two people here, but this is how it works. And that's giving it oxygen it's keeping that little coal alive cuz i'm still angry about it and maybe it's just going to pop out one day you got to work against that you work against that by flooding the zone with the scriptures god i i see this can you just help me see my own log in my own eye that you plucked out that's how that's how it works very practically i'm not going to bring it up in conversation i'm not going to bring it up in the conversation of my own mind and lastly i'm not going to take pleasure when the other person experiences pain, now you would never say this to anybody. But when somebody who's hurt you, something bad happens. To them doesn't have to be any related to your conversation or whatever. You just go, "Yeah, they deserve it." You're not going to do that. That twists your soul. Doesn't do anything about this, the problem. You become twisted when you think that way. Listen to C.S. Lewis. Great chapter on forgiveness and mere Christianity that you should go home and read. When we do something like that, we, we say that person deserves it. They're, they're, they are little marks or twists on our soul, which in the long run will turn you into a hellish creature. You take pleasure in the pain of somebody else, and that twists your soul. Instead, you're going to forgive, according to Lewis. This does not mean feeling fond of the person. Forgiveness does not mean feeling fond of the person. Or saying that they're nice when they're not nice. But wishing they're good. Hoping that they may, in this world or another, one day be cured. That's what he's talking about. It's not fake. It's not doing anything fake. It doesn't mean saying, "Well, I feel fond about them." There are some people who've hurt you. You're never going to feel fond about them. But you're going to you're going to wish good for them in some way, this world or the next. That's bearing something. If you begin to truly forgive, you slowly little by little you get molded into the into the image of Jesus. And when you do, your life becomes a highway of grace. And people know it. People know it. Man, that guy, he's been, he has forgiven so many things. That woman, I know she could hold a bitter, a bitter root, but she doesn't. And people want to know, why is that? What, what fuels that? And the answer is Jesus. I couldn't do this on my own, all by myself. Couldn't possibly. But I know Jesus, and he fuels my forgiveness. Now, some of you are sitting here, because if if it were me, I'd be sitting here saying, oh, yeah, forgiveness. But what about, right? You have your little thing. We, we can't say everything about every possible thing. This is just the beginning. You've got to study. We've got to talk about it over and over. But it may be that you've got a big pain. And it would just be helpful to have somebody pray for you. So I'll be down here, another elder will be down here after the service. And that's just part of bearing it. Just I need somebody to, to bear the little load or the big load that I have with me. Forgiveness. How are we going to stay together as the body of Christ? We've got to learn when do we confront each other and how do we do it. And then after that's over, how do we forgive? Let's pray together. Lord, um, everybody here understands what this passage says. so simple, so clear. And we all are in desperate need of your transformation of ourselves. And that starts with an, an increasing capacity to know the love of God.